Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels from the Santa Monica Studios. Delighted, as always, to bring you another episode covering the game you know and love. It is the tennis offseason for a few weeks, so we're taking this time on this podcast to bring you some special guest interviews with some standout individuals in the game. And this week, we have a banger of an interview with Mike Cation, Mike C. Tennis on Twitter. He is the voice of the USTA Pro Circuit. He has been for 10 years. Mike was very, very generous with his time. Probably the hardest working man, not just in tennis, but maybe in all sports. And we'll get into that on the show, what his daily and weekly schedule is on the pro circuit, how he got into that role, how he has gained the respect of his peers. And some of the players like Ben Shelton, Nick Kyrgios, Chris Eubanks that he saw work their way up the ladder, signs of greatness, Yannick Sinner, another one what his outlook is going forward, his broadcasting style, all this and more with Mike Cation, the voice of the USDA Pro Circuit, on this week's episode of Tennis Channel Inside In. It's a great interview. I hope you enjoy it. Let's start the show. All right, welcome everybody to Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels from the Santa Monica Studios, delighted now in our off season. We don't have many weeks, we got to take advantage of it. And uh, I promise some interesting stories, interviews, different perspectives in our limited time away from pro tennis. Joined now by the voice of the pro circuit. He's been in that position for over a decade now, uh, has had a lot of broadcasting and voiceover work as well. Uh, host a podcast behind the racket on the tennis channel podcast network and many say and uh, i can understand why that he's the hardest working person in all tennis mike cation joins the show now mike been waiting to do this for a while thanks so much for your time coming on the show now mitch i'm really honored uh as a frequent listener and part of the podcast network uh i, I listen all the time and so it's really an honor to be with you here today Appreciate that a ton. Uh, I wanted to get to your story because it's an interesting one and it's somebody that is living out their dream as we, we know and we will get to. But uh, you were, you know, you came in the, up in the tennis community as a competitive athlete. I don't want to shortchange that at all. You know, we can't. It's there's okay not to shortchange it. I shortchange <laughs> it quite a bit myself. Only a very, very select <laughs> few can make it all the way to the pro game. But you were a pretty good junior player coming up and had the opportunity, a, a potential career that was cut short for your injury at the D3 level. But you had the tennis bug early, I think it's safe to say. And what was it about just falling in love with the sport first as a player now, of course, as a broadcaster? Yeah, uh, for me early on, uh, I've said this before, John McEnroe is the one you know, when I was really, really young, seeing him act like a fool sometimes, go crazy on a court, but then also have this incredible high level. Um, and then as I got older and just more invested in the sport um, and started competing myself, um, it was much more about just that that one-on-one -on -one battle. Um, you know, the the chess game that is that is tennis, right? When you mm -hmm. you know what your skills are, you know what your opponent's skills are, and and how those two things match up how you have to counter what they might be doing on that given day. And I, I just really enjoyed the individual 
um, hyper competitive, you know, on court for about an hour and a half, you give everything you can. And uh, I, I thought that really suited me as well. Um, it allowed me as a, a competitor to be adaptive, um, really kind of figure out who I was as, as a person and then as, as a player as well. And I, I think that tennis really does have that capability of translating into life very well. And I think nowadays, um, what I appreciate it, uh, what I appreciate about the sport now is is just those those incredible stories of those people, those players yeah. who who you know are at the highest highest level, um, and and what it has taken for them to get to that point where they're making hundreds of thousands of dollars, and and the mm -hmm. skill sets that they bring, and and also the the difficulties of yeah. life on tour. Uh, that's been the that's been the most interesting part for me as I've done this broadcasting component for ten years now. Yeah, and that's very well said. There's something unique about tennis. It's almost hard to describe, but it is. It has elements of every little thing. Like it's a one-on-one -on -one sport. You're out there battling. You can't run out the clock. You have a different story mm -hmm. for each player. And these tournament fields are so big. There's so many different stories in them. Your your career and your path to this. You end up going, and I know you're a Champagne guy, right? From Champagne, Illinois, yep. originally. So Champagne, you went to college yep. locally. And I say locally, like it's a small school. You went to one of the biggest, you know, most intense schools there were. But you go to Illinois, and if I have this right, you wanted to, you know, you got a broadcaster degree, but it wasn't always sports. It wasn't always going to be sports. When did that, you know, start to form that? Okay, I can work in this industry now. Yeah, so I um, my path right out of college, I I got a job as a as a news director for a radio station, um, first first for about nine months in in a very very small town in Missouri, and then I was able to actually get a news director position at a group of radio stations in Champaign, Illinois, and and actually the the way I got back involved with sports was one of the first few interviews I did was with Craig Tiley, who at the time was the head coach at the University of Illinois, um, and and when I was 15, 16 years old. To kind of show you where he was at at the time he was he was just starting as the head coach at illinois and wasn't making any money wow. so he was having to give group lessons not even private lessons but group lessons on the side and i was part of that took some private lessons from him so i i learned about tennis from him and then one of the first interviews i do is is with him and he says hey listen i i need somebody who's who can be a public address announcer for for my team who can help with the the challenger that we have and still have in Champaign, uh, do some of the PR and and maybe help with a little bit of PR for my team as well. So I uh, I was able to find just a, a balance between this news and entertainment radio stuff. I mean, Mitch, you're you're much younger than me, but back in back in my day, you know, top forty radio was like that was king in a smaller yeah. town like Champaign Urbana. That yeah. was, you know, that was a big big deal. So to be part of a, a top rated morning show, that kind of you know, paid the bills. But then my my spare time was public address announcing for Illinois tennis, yeah. Illinois baseball. Um, then it got to Illinois basketball, mm. which was a big, big deal, uh, <laughs> the biggest sport on campus. Um, and then because of the fact that I got involved with the, the challenger in Champaign, I, I started to meet people. And then when this job, this pro circuit job opened up in 2013, people said he loves the sport of tennis. Wow. He's got a very good radio background let's let's give yeah. it a shot and and there i was in 2013 announcing my first ever tennis match it's such a fascinating and, and inspiring story it also shows you how timing in life is everything like this guy craig sure. tiley who's now running tennis you know the australian open and everything yeah. he was there in champagne you have a challenger there but you put the work in to be ready for that situation did you ever do any like mock-up play-by-plays or any broadcast you just well that's no, that's no, awesome. I just, just dove in. Winnetka, Winnetka, <laughs> Illinois, July, the week of July 4th, 2013. 
I had never done it um, at, at all. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously, you know, much like you, Mitch, I mean, mm-hmm. we're, we're broadcasters, right? Like, mm-hmm. so we, we know broadcasting, mm-hmm. we've listened to tennis play by play for so many years, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's just a, that ability to kind of translate it. But I, I, if I were to go back, if, if I could find that broadcast, I, I never <laughs> watched it, but if I went back and watched that yeah. first week, there, there are some highlights because we had a pretty infamous moment. Um, with Alex Bogomolov Jr. that week, just walking off the court mid-match. And so it was one of those viral Uh moments back in 2013. But my knowledge of the game then versus my knowledge of the game now, it's it's night and day. I I was ignorant at Mm -hmm. that time. And I'm sure if I were to go back, I would cringe at some of the comments that I made about why people were doing certain things. But um, I'm so lucky to get to listen to players and coaches in a hotel, you know, lobby breakfast, because we're staying at the same hotel at a challenger. So I get to listen to those players talk about why they do what they do, Mm -hmm. what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses. And it's, it's been a massive learning opportunity for me. One of the things I've read about yourself and comments you've made is that you have to, you know, as a broadcaster, one of the tricks is just manage your ego. Don't put yourself on in, in the forefront. It's not about you. And I know your nature is not to be very, let's call it hot takey or just, you know, stark like that. Yes. Where, yes. where did you develop that style? Is that just in your DNA or was that through time, as you said, starting in 2013 and learning that this was the better way to go? Well, I, I think part of it is, yeah, I don't like attention drawn to me mm-hmm. at all. I, I like, uh, you know, my parents raised me to be one of those people. You, you put your head down, you do the work, you do the mm-hmm. work to the best of your ability. And you know, praise, whatever that might mean, more money, a a bigger title, whatever that might mean, will come along with it. I Mm -hmm. don't know that that's necessarily true nowadays, um, (laughs) as I think we all know in this industry. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, I've kind of come to grips at my age now, uh, in my mid 40s, that I'm content with doing the work. And that's what makes me happy. So the, the hot take stuff, like I, it's it's troublesome from yeah. a journalistic background, right? Um, yeah. you, you go through and you you just realize you're just supposed to do the work, do yeah. the reporting. Um, I, I, and I'm I'm I think I'm just happy with that now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also part of it is is frankly I'm I am in intimate settings with these players. Mm-hmm. You know, I can sit here and just I'll, I'll tell you I'll put it in this way with an anecdote. I, I remember uh, Patrick McEnroe is somebody who I, I consider a friend. He came in uh, to the Dallas Challenger one year, maybe 2016 or so. And he sat in and did about 10 minutes of, of a, just kind of an interview broadcast while we were doing a match, right? And Dennis Kudla was playing. Dennis Kudla, his career high is 51, 53, somewhere like that. Mm-hmm. He's made millions and millions of mm-hmm. dollars, a very successful player. Yeah. Uh, I just remember Patrick saying, and you know, he could be, he's, he's obviously been proven right that for, for Dennis, you know, he hit a forehand, just a routine miss. And he said, and that's why Dennis is never going to be top 10 or top 20, which is a pretty hot take early mm-hmm. in a player's career to, to have. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's proven, it's proven to be right. But I found myself thinking that if, if, if somebody who's at a challenger level is saying things along that, those lines right. while you're doing a broadcast, why would anybody watch? Well, that's yeah. He, you know, yeah. if 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 there are 32 players in the draw, maybe two of them are going to get seated at a Grand Slam. Maybe mm-hmm. three of them get seated at a Grand Slam at some point in their careers. Mm-hmm. If I just sit there and and you know do hot take after hot take about why yeah. this guy stinks and why this guy stinks, it's nobody's going to come back and watch. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I think part of the reality of my situation is that I I just don't think there's a need for that. 
Did you uh, did you have influences, people you modeled your broadcasting style off for like a composite? I know there's no, it's the worst thing to be a complete carbon copy of someone, but maybe <laughs> a style, even if they didn't sound anything like you that you tried to emulate? Yeah, I was, I was very young. I was drawn to Dick Enberg. Mm. Um, I mean, very, very young, but I knew that that was like golden, that, that voice, that tone, yeah. you know, early, early in my life, I could just, I just knew. Um, but I think, I think in terms of influence, the, the ones that have influenced me most, not in terms of play by play though, were, um, John Stewart. Yeah. I, I love that delivery. And then, you know, I, again, my, my age difference here, Mitch, but the, the, the big show on ESPN sports center, when it was Keith Olbermann and Dan Patrick, and then the late show was Stuart Scott, Craig Kilborn, and some of those guys, like I watched that day in day out, um, uh, and just kind of getting that feel for mixing humor with some uh just some political statements from time to time but also just being so solid about when it comes down to the serious moments yeah. being rock solid um and then there are obviously some some ones that you know i've interacted with over the years you know people who i who i worked with who i thought were incredible at what they did the first job i ever had in a small town in missouri i did a couple of football broadcasts and basketball broadcasts with a guy who was at the time, probably 40 and had never left his town of 13,000 people, had never left mm -hmm. it. He was the best broadcaster to this day <laughs> that I've ever heard. Yeah. Like by John Covington, okay. I, I, he was so good. He wow. just like, he spent so much time in doing his prep and putting it all together. I was yeah. floored and still, still to this day, I think about how hard he worked to make it so that he was just able to be prepared and just do the job on the night of. It is a fascinating thing to think about, right? Like we, you want to find balance. You want to interject humor. You want to, you know, not take everything so serious because it is a game. It's fun. It's exciting, but also highlight when those serious moments are. And I think just have a good time with it. If you're having a good time calling a match, I think that the viewers are going to identify that. But what I wanted to get to now was the stuff that I think makes you a little bit of a legend here. I want you to set the record straight on you know, the matches and exactly what your days look like and how, you know, I, I saw the tweet yeah. you put out where in the last 10 years, it's like 3,700 challenger matches, but yeah. a typical day for you at a venue looks like what? Um, yeah, it's so first, first things first, I'll, I'll do my prep the night before or the morning of, depending on just the you know schedule, but uh, I'm looking, you know, I'll start the day and I'm basically looking at anywhere between four and eight matches um you know just back-to-back -back solo commentary so with that let's let's take an average day which would be about six six matches so that means i'm going to be doing prep on at least 12 players maybe 14 or 16 if there's some doubles matches mixed in um the the basics of my prep are you know just making sure i get the rankings right live rankings how many quarterfinals they've been in depending on what round we're in making sure that i'm uh, cognizant of all of their previous last six weeks or so is what the way I put it together last six tournaments just basically make sure I know where all their titles have from have come from then if I have a little bit more time start putting into the thought of okay how do they play on clay what's the speed of this court how you know what are some comparable courts that they played on um, and head to heads so that that typically will take me about two hours um, there will be a coffee uh, at some point during that stretch. That is obviously very important to make sure that the coffee is going uh, during that day. But then, I mean, I, I try to get to the courts 40, an hour to 45 minutes before the matches start. 
there is the component of I want to make sure I do at least one social media post in that morning of so that I can list all the, the matches that are being played. Here's the stream. Here's where you can find it. Might I point out it is free to watch on the internet at all times to watch every challenger around the world. So I want to make sure people know here's these players are playing today. Come check it out. You can just come here, click it, done. You're good for the rest of the day. And then it's just literally sitting there um, <laughs> for for six matches, right? I mean, that that can go, what, eight hours is, your, is an easy day. Um, we've done as many as 15 and a half in in one day yeah. um that that was yeah 50, 10 a.m to 1 one, one day in dallas that's that's a lot you are those breaks in between matches those are that's about 10 to 15 minutes you have to make sure you go to the bathroom if you need a snack that's all in 10 or 15 minutes and then you have to get back and make sure you are prepped and ready for just the intro of the match that's coming up next i mean it's no different than any other mm -hmm. you know tennis channel commentator that mm -hmm. they you know you have consecutive matches so you have to do yeah. that short period right but then it's it's straight through end of the day you get a terrible dinner at waffle house or something along those lines uh, as as evidenced by this belly right here but um you know a good day is i i get to i get to exercise as well in the morning but there's always that kind of mix of players now have that respect level for me. I believe that they'll bring me a coffee if I need a Diet Coke or something, you know, something, mm -hmm. the caffeine to help kind of push along. But yeah, it's just sitting there with a microphone, imagining there are people watching and interacting with me throughout <laughs> and, and just going. It's really impressive in a lot of ways that you're able to not just you know, put the work in, obviously, like a true professional, but have the energy to do it. Because I don't think a lot of people are built for that kind of run. You described one day, and let's do it again five or six or eight times yeah. in a row. I know you do some interviews after the championship levels, too. But what, you know, it's a broad question, but what kind of keeps you going to keep doing this in the sense of willing to do it that much, to do full slates? I know you have weeks off, but the ability to keep coming back to these tournaments and work the hours that I can't think of anyone in broadcast doing right now. I, I appreciate you saying that first off, Mitch. It's very mm -hmm. kind of you. Um, I, I love this sport. I, I just love it. And I, as I mentioned earlier, I've hit this point where, you know, I've kind of been able to appreciate that none of this is about me. I'm comfortable financially at this point, And I'm, I'm very privileged to say that mm -hmm. I, I know that these players, especially at the challenger level, don't often get their stories told, don't often get that ability to have somebody critiquing and talking about what they do within a match. And I want to make sure that I do that to the best of my ability that day. I, I'm I'm so lucky that I've gotten to do so many podcasts and um, different TV outlet type of things talking about the players who have come through over the years. I mean, when when Chris had the run last year, I, you were in Chicago with me when he was, you know, getting to the quarterfinals at Wimbledon. I remember that. And I, the amount of people who called me to try to get me on the podcast that week so, because I had the ability to talk to Chris for so many months and years. Ben Shelton the year before, J.J. Wolf, all of these players, Jack Sock, Tennis Sangren, all these players who've come through and I, I'm I'm lucky that I get to see them and see that incredible talent. Mm -hmm. If I don't have an appreciation for that, I shouldn't be doing it. And yeah. that's that's the same for every broadcaster. In my my personal opinion, if you can't appreciate somebody who's working their butt off, maybe they're 150 in the world, 
like tell that story, get to know who they are, get yeah. to know what they do, and maybe what are the things that they do exceptionally well that can get them to that next level? What are those things that might hold them back? And just tell that story over and over again. It's well said. Uh, it's special too, and, and I know you've been privileged enough to see some of your now friends make it to that level um, and be the person that's well, you know, in position to tell that story because you've seen the grind. It's not all silver spoons. It's some really talented players. Some really talented players can go right to the pros and have a career, but it's a very rare thing. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. More with Mike Cation here on Tennis Channel Inside In. I did want to lighten it up a little bit. I know that, and I got some intel on you as well. You're also at a point where you're a you know mainstay broadcaster. They know you. You'll get players talking to you a little bit on court while all matches are going on. Is that correct? That is correct. I assume you've talked to Mr. Eubanks. Um, uh, one, a, a difference. So I have talked to Eubanks, but someone else, which you can probably figure out as well, too. I've got an idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. There. Uh, what what I think people one of the first things that I got criticized for Mitch mm -hmm. early in my career yeah. was just why are you so quiet like you, you, like this guy this guy I, I remember this I shouldn't be reading Reddit and things of that nature mm -hmm. right but you know we all do it from time to time and just why does this guy talk so quiet he never says anything all of all of these things and I'm just like I'm next to the court I'm literally next to I've the seen court. it yeah you have seen it I mean it, it's it's <laughs> There are times when I'm literally six feet or less from a player. If they come towel off, that's the corner I'm in. Um, so, yeah, it's it's kind of a natural thing. There are a lot of players who don't have coaches, and so they just kind of need to release something um, in a way that's not destructive, you know, breaking a racket, whatever, you know, screaming at the umpire or something. But they'll just kind of look over and just be like, I got, you know, they need somebody to acknowledge that they're a person in that moment. Uh, I mean... Noah Rubin is is one who I will have I've had full on conversations with in the middle of matches, which is with the coaching rules now is a little bit iffy. Um, I, tennis tennis Sandgren constantly um, early in his career would, would chat with me. Stefan Kozlov um, quite a bit. Ben as he was coming up, Ben Shelton. Um, he he really kind of needed that somebody who wasn't a coach, um, and that's that's. Uh, it's not necessarily your question, but one of the biggest uh, honors that I have is that people people will want to have me just to out to dinner or something like that mm -hmm. because of the fact I'm not a coach, I'm not a fellow player. Yeah. They need to blow off steam without having any repercussions <laughs> of something negative that you know goes back to a coach yeah. or something like that. And yeah, we we we're kind of a traveling circus. Yeah. Um, we all know each other. We all know each other's secrets and foibles. Um, but yeah, during the, the 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 conversation during the matches can be very very interesting, and it's. Uh, very off the record. <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, Mike held a little low there. Uh, no, I, I think it's good to kind of just make sure that, you know, the players also are, you know, like you said, blowing off some steam. They look forward to you and they see you, as you said, like you're a traveling circus. You're with them all the time, too. Mm -hmm. um, and then you call these matches, you carry these broadcasts as so a lot. But I do think it's very cool and interesting. The opportunities you've given some players, some other people to call matches with you. It is 
you know, like in the tennis channel, they're starting to do that here, obviously. But mm -hmm. at that level, you're giving free on the job training to anybody who'll take you up on it. And I think it's so cool. It's actually started some broadcasting careers right next to you. Yeah, I mean, Chris did Chris did his first match with me in Knoxville a couple of years ago. He did win that tournament, I believe, 2021. There's maybe? a stat. In, there's a stat for you. It's like who started okay. that broadcast career winning a tournament? Probably just him. That's, yeah, probably, <laughs> yeah, that's probably right. He did a Jack Sock match actually. Yeah. I do I do remember that because he was giving me some some different takes on, on some of the things I was saying. So it was a very very interesting. But yeah, I, I I think it's really important to to continue to do that because I, I think a lot of players at that level are looking for a transition to whatever their next career might be. I mean, when Chris, when Chris did that, for example, I mean, Noah's done it. Uh, Julia Elbaba, who's now a mm -hmm. broadcaster in, in New York city. She's done very well for herself. Um, Alex Gruskin is somebody I've worked with over the last couple of years. Who's been doing a lot of T2 stuff with you guys. But I, I think a lot of the players, if they kind of hit that point where they're maybe 26, 27, and they don't know what the next step for them is, they'll just say, Hey, can I give this a shot? See if it's something that maybe I could do. I'm more than happy to do that. I, you know, just obviously the the rules of, you know, learning how to broadcast, learning what not to say is probably the biggest thing, Mitch. I think you might agree. Yeah, <laughs> learning yes. um, but I, I'm I'm also very happy just to have company yeah. from, from time to time. It takes a little bit of pressure off of me and they can they can learn and um and again those those relationships you build, you never know if Chris Eubanks is gonna be able to to help me out someday. So I'm I'm always happy to do that. I think it's so cool that you're able to give them that opportunity. You know, there's no, you know, there's no pressure. It's a, it's a chance they're getting to, you know, dip their toe in. And for some like Eubanks, it works out very well. Um, I wanted to ask you, because you brought up some players that came through Eubanks, one of them, Ben mm. Shelton last year. And I believe you were on, you know, you already started in your gig when Kyrgios was starting to come up as well, too. That's right. Uh, yeah. Those would be players off the top of my head. But who else have you seen that's really been like, wow, taking the challengers by storm and then I guess didn't surprise you is a better way to put it when they had pro ATP tour level success. Yeah. Kyrgios was the first one, um, in 2014. So I started in July of 2013. Jack sock was playing at that time. Um, Jack was, Jack was much more difficult because of the fact that, you know, he, he hated playing a challenger. So it took him a long time as a result to escape it and get out. Mm -hmm. But it was clear that that, that talent, especially mm -hmm. with the hand talent, that forehand is absurd. Kyrgios was was the next one we had we he played three straight he played three weeks with us uh he Tanasi and Jason Kubler who's now gone on to to do very well he won the first two um the first two tournaments did Nick he, he won Sarasota beat Philip Krajinovic who's mm -hmm. done very well for himself he beat Jack Sock in the final of Savannah the next week then he pulled out of the the third week and what I always will remember uh, about Nick is especially as he's been doing some work with you guys and doing a mm -hmm. little media tour right now he had to come to Tallahassee to pull out um with a medical issue he had to come to see the doctor on site so he didn't get fined and he just we'd never been able to do an interview so he actually just hopped in and just did the broadcast with me um just for like an hour of uh, <laughs> yeah. Tanasi's match and I, I I always will remember that because he always treats me incredibly yeah. well um I think he saw and just understood you know but yeah when he did when he uh, had that breakout at Wimbledon a couple months later not shocking um the the next one that really stood out we had sasha Svera for one week we had yeah. diego schwartzman for one week neither of them impressed me during those weeks i mean I, I, he was obviously the talent was very good yeah. but the, the next big one uh was sinner he played two events binghamton lost in the quarterfinals to i believe mitchell kruger and then won lexington the, the very next week and it, I, I remember seeing him then at qualies at the us open 
um, later, you know, two months later. And I said to one of the ATP staffers, I said, this was 2019, within five years, he's going to win a slam. And I was just so sure of it. And now he's got one more year to actually win a slam. But um, yeah, I mean, Ben, Ben was pretty special. I think the the story I've told before is is just his incredible willingness to put big picture goals in front of small picture goals. Um, the story I've told before, but he it was the first round of a challenger in California in Tiburon. Um, he played Roberto Quiros, and he said before that match, he told his coach, he told his dad that he was going to serve in volley every single first serve no matter what, for that entire match, even if that meant losing the match, because he knew that big mm-hmm. picture the next year, he was going to have to do it. And he committed to it. He went to a third set tie break. In the third set tie break, I thought he was just going to go away from it, serve and volley every single first serve. I, I was so impressed and was that was the moment where you knew the talent was there, but I was so sure of the fact that he was going to be very successful. Um, and and those are the, those are the things that Mitch, when when people ask me about who who has stood out, it's mm-hmm. always about those players who are not trying to win one match, or or you know reach a quarterfinal. It's always those players who look at each day as development. Yeah, and that is a really hard thing to do, especially at that lower level where the money is not good mm-hmm. at all. Right. That yeah. but th- those are the ones that stand out when you see a player who's just like, I have to. I this has to get better. I'm going to do this. I'm going to commit to who I am at this level and just go after it. And I might lose today, but it's going to make me better later on. Um, and and those are the ones that stood out. And you're just like, I know they're going to be good quickly. Um, and then there are stories like Chris and JJ mm-hmm. Wolf. It took a little oh, bit yeah. longer. You knew the talent was yeah. there, but that consistency level or belief, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily there right at the start. Yeah, and that last point, similar to, you know, your journey, anybody's professional journey, it's timing, it's opportunity with tennis, it's if the draw's right, is the body holding up, you know, you might get the break you hadn't had in years past, uh, but it, it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of patience, I would say, to, you know, in Ben Shelton's case or anyone's case, to really sacrifice maybe short-term results to make an improvement that could help you in the long run, and it's tough when you have a limited window to have that patience. Uh, but it's such a special thing to see. And as, you know, someone that's been on the challenger level, the pro circuit for so long, I have to ask you the lighter question of funnier things or maybe peculiar things you've seen. Any moments it's, that on a tennis ground, <laughs> I know you have a lot of a lot of stories in your head, so maybe you can filter out some good ones. The 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 number one, the the first one was was Marcus Willis. Um, who who then had the the magical run at Wimbledon when he he beat Tennis Sandgren while eating uh, at the Knoxville Challenger while eating a Snickers and drinking an RC cola. Uh, that was the first viral video, and and that one was actually important for me because Chris Fowler, um, legendary broadcaster, um, he, he saw it and reached out to me. And I like that was the first moment where like a big broadcaster just like reached out and was just like, hey, I saw this. I didn't know they were doing this. But, it, mm-hmm. it, you know, seeing Marcus at the time was probably 250, 280. And, and they estimate yeah. he had earned the nickname Cartman from South Park. And so he's like literally sitting there and just like eating a Snickers with his gut hanging out and beating tennis Sandgren. So that was the first one. Uh, the one that I think everybody noticed, uh, you know, brings up is uh I, I don't know. I'm trying to think about how to phrase this best. There, there were sex sounds Sarasota. during the tennis match. Yeah, I had that. Yeah. See, I was going to, yeah, your memory's too good. I was going to be like Sarasota, but, you know. Yeah, that's, that was the. That's, that's yeah, probably. Mitchell Kruger. 
Yeah, that Francis was Tiafo. <laughs> that was um, everybody out there, and it was before Tiafo blew up. We knew who he was. Yes. We didn't know the potential and what would end up happening. But yeah, you kind of that was kind of when you first went viral for Sarasota and twenty because it happened and. It, it was such a long sequence. I'm not even trying to be funny now, but that was yeah. not just an isolated incident. And Tiafo was no. hilarious. And you and you saw how funny Tiafo was in that clip. Yeah, we all knew Francis had the personality, and for him <laughs> yeah. to be on the court at that moment. And if you if you've not seen it, you can still Google it. Uh, it's on it's on YouTube in various different forms. But basically, there were sex sounds coming from a nearby apartment in the middle of the match, and it was so loud that it interrupted the match. And I had to continue broadcasting during it. Yeah. Um, and Francis yells out, "It can't be that good!" At the the loudness or the volume of of the the two uh, people being intimate. Um, that one, that one was pretty crazy. And, and, uh, what's, what's interesting about that Mitch is, you know, I was all of a sudden I was doing broadcast, like, uh, all sorts of national broadcasts. I was on NPR for God's sakes, talking about it. Like what, what is that about? Wow. But it, it was at, at first the tournament didn't want anybody to talk about it. They didn't want it to be known at all. They were just like, this is terrible. Uh, you know, publicity for this, it should be about the tennis. And I, I want it to be about that. And I was just like, oh, listen, you're going to get maybe a hundred more people coming <laughs> to your event on Saturday because <laughs> of this. So, you know, take, take it in. But that one was crazy. Uh, let's see, we've had a snake on the court. We've had lizards on the court. Uh, yeah, there was one time we had to clear out the stadium at uh, Cary because, because of a, I think it was a copperhead that was trying mm. to get onto court. Yep. We've had tournaments canceled because of hurricanes. We've dealt, we've gone through hurricanes wow. uh, where you're just kind of sitting and waiting for three days for the hurricane to pass. I mean, those, those are the ones that, that stand out. I mean, it's, yeah, I could, I, there's a lot, probably there's a lot. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. And people always ask me like what it's, it's so funny. Like, I just got back two weeks ago from from the three week indoors in Charlottesville, Knoxville, Champaign. It's gone, Mitch. <laughs> it is. <laughs> just, yeah. It's like there are little there are little things that kind of stand out, but most of it's just it's just kind of like a blank slate because when I get home, it's just like I'm full back into dad mode. Yeah. Um, but you know, like the the things that kind of stand out for me now. And there are always those light viral moments, but it's, I, I drove Marcus Willis and Dennis Kudla from Knoxville to Champaign this year, eight hours in the car with those two. Mm -hmm. um, the friendship I've struck up with Noah and, and Chris Eubanks, for, for example, and, and even, you know, being invited to players' weddings is, yeah. is crazy to me. Yeah. And those, those relationships are yeah. really what it's all about. And Francis, though, we always have a good laugh uh, anytime <laughs> we, we, we bring up Sarasota. Yeah, you'll get some of the best like shots of the year at the Challenger event. Oh, you'll get sure. viral moments. It's it's great. And I know the the relationship with the players. There's been a couple, a few Instagram posts of I think you sleeping on couches in the lobby <laughs> that they've kind of snagged to you. Uh, but I wanted to you know bookend this with this, Mike, as, as we kind of wrap up here on Tennis Channel Inside In, talking to Mike Cation, uh, voice of the Pro Circuit. I was at, and it was just timing for me. We had, you know we had the relationship here on the podcast network, and we've talked before. Uh, chatted virtually, hadn't met you in person, met at the XS Tennis Center last year when they honored you for your 10-year anniversary. Mm. And so I saw mm -hmm. the players, and I saw the players, and they presented you, you know, with the with the cake, I believe it was, and it was a happy 10 years, and you have the players yeah. that were there, and, and the messages from the players that weren't there, in Eubanks' case, in the Wimbledon quarterfinals. Yeah. But Yeah, that was crazy. It spoke a lot to the respect that your peers had for you. And I know as a broadcaster and as a professional, that is the one, number one, at least in my case, overarching thing is 
what your peers think of you. And that was really cool to see the level of respect that they had for you and the work you put into your craft. I, I appreciate that very much. That was a, uh, incredibly humbling day. Um, yeah, I mean, Chris was about to play Med, I think it was Medvedev was, was that particular day. He was about to beat Medvedev and, you know, sent, sent that and I or lose to Medvedev. And I just, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't fathom that somebody would, you know, before the biggest match of their life would mm -hmm. take time out to do that. But you're, you're absolutely right. And, and, you know, it goes back to kind of what I was, was talking about with my parents, right? Like put your head down, do the work. That respect is ultimately what matters most. If I, you know, as I said, I'm, I'm very lucky to do, this is what I wanted to do when I was 13 years old. If you'd have told me that this is, I, I would have sold everything in the world at the age of 13 to, mm -hmm. to do exactly what I'm doing right now. I mean, I, I have a neon sign with my name on it. I mean, like, like yeah. you know, like the, these, all of these things that I would have wanted when I was 13, but you're absolutely right. All that matters is like, I, I know that, I know that those players at least understand that I'm putting in the work to make sure that I represent them well in, in on on air. I might get things wrong. I'm always every broadcaster is going to get things wrong, but they know that I'm going to put in the time to make sure I do the best that I can. Um, and and I'm I'm very very lucky that I've earned the trust of those players. I'm very lucky that uh, I've earned the trust of other broadcasters, um, you know, who might need some some details on a player that they might not have seen, but they're you know calling their match at, at a slam, and I'm always happy to do that. And you're absolutely right. That's that's the one thing that I I I, I always long for, and I always take very seriously is making sure that I'm telling the story of whomever is in front of me the mm -hmm. best way that I can on that particular day, and I'm I'm really happy that it shows through and those players uh, understand that well yeah the tennis community could use more people uh with that kind of passion and drive and uh it's very good to see your hard work rewarded and parlayed into other opportunities getting the interview on court saw you in toronto yeah. a little bit on there doing that yeah aussie and us open getting to travel call the majors as well although aussie's coming up and you know that flight's not the best but has Dude, to be a cool experience though to call the grand slam <laughs> matches it is uh, getting getting to call JJ Wolf and Ben Shelton last year in in that matchup was was completely nuts, uh, let alone calling Ben and, and Novak um, in, at the U.S. Open this past year. But uh, it's one of my personal goals when I set out to do this ten years ago was I wanted to be able to to translate any success I might have to my family, and I'm getting to take my daughter Marnie. Um, she's coming with me to Australia. We leave on Christmas That's Day. Awesome. Like that, yeah. that's the one that draws the emotion out yeah. of me. It's just like, I get to, I get to bring my daughter down there so she can see Australia. She can, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. But yeah, the Australian open trip, I will take that 24 hour travel day every single day of the week to be at the happy slam without even thinking about it. Yeah. It's like, it's a very, very deserved opportunity. Glad that the family is going to be around and uh, it doesn't sound like you have an end in sight. You're, you're loving what you do. The energy's still there. There's no, there's um, no downturn. This yeah. is like peak years for you, I think. <laughs> in, in theory, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's one of those things is, you know, with, as an independent contractor, uh, as all of us mm -hmm. broadcasters are, mm -hmm. as we go inside baseball a little bit mm -hmm. here, um, Mitch, mm -hmm. but you know, that's, it can go away at any point. Mm -hmm. Um, so the, the way I try to approach it is just a, a appreciate every moment that you're given. I get to call a tennis match in a couple of weeks in, in Australia. And that is the coolest thing oh. I could possibly think to do. 
and just appreciate that. And if I can make it another 10 years, I will be thrilled and then, you know, follow my, my daughter around and be a good grandparent whenever she has kids too. Wow. Yeah. That's a, that's the, the dream. That's, that's a perfect outlook on it. Uh, and I just had the last thing of, you know, outside interests still playing poker and, uh, also, (laughs) also got a shout out. I apparently like myself, big letter Kenny fan. Oh my God. I didn't realize there was a new Shorzy that came out like two months ago. I had no yeah, idea. I, yeah. I've, I've, I'm mowed right through that. So yeah. So that's, uh, that's what I'm going to be doing tonight. Yeah, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, poker, poker is, um, I have been kind of getting away from it. That was how I made money in 2020. Oh. Um, which is crazy to me. Uh, but yeah, that, that was, that's all the, always the biggest yeah. thing I run a lot. Um, but then, you know, the biggest thing, Mitch, I'm like, when I'm home, I'm with my daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we're 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 powering through uh, Cat Quest Two on the Nintendo Switch okay. right now. Um, <laughs> I don't think. Don't worry, you don't need no, to go buy that. Yeah, one. Um, <laughs> thought about <laughs> but it. But like, that's that's the like I just I run. I'll you know I'll play poker when I have some downtime. But I just love spending time with my kid. Well, it's perfect. Perfectly said. Uh, Mike Cation, voice of the pro circuit uh, for a decade, still going strong. Thanks for coming on Tennis Channel Insight and. Yeah, I got to give a shout out to, you know, Chris Eubanks and Blair Henley for helping me prep you a little bit. I know you oh, knew that. Blair. But, uh, Mike, <laughs> Mike, pleasure as always. Check out the Behind the Racket podcast as well with him and Noah Rubin uh, for some outstanding content. Love hearing you call matches, and uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much, Mitch. Once again, huge thanks to Mike Cation for joining the podcast. It is not an embellishment. I feel the way that many players and people around the sport do, that he is one of the hardest working, if not the hardest working individuals in the game. He carries the sport so well and tells the stories of all these tennis players that work their way up. So thanks to Mike Cation again. Best of luck for 10 more years and beyond covering the pro circuit. Follow him on Twitter at Mike C Tennis and make sure you're listening to the Behind the Racket podcast that he does with Noah Rubin. They do a great job covering all the ins and outs of the sport. Behind the Racket, along with Tennis Channel Insight and are members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, you can go to tennis.com slash podcast to find the entire catalog of shows on our outstanding network. And if you want to subscribe to Tennis Channel Insight and on any of your favorite podcast platforms, just search for the show. It will pop right up on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeart, Just search Tennis Channel Inside In, subscribe, leave a rating and a review to have all the episodes automatically downloaded to your listening device. So you don't have to do any work after that. Every Thursday, a new episode will just magically appear. It's not a Christmas gift or a Christmas miracle. It will automatically appear. Thanks again to everybody out there for listening. We've got more shows coming up at the end of the year and a best of show as well that you're not going to want to miss. For Mike Cation, my name is Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.